Where's my tinfoil hat? It's in one of these drawers. Oh, you're on mute, Dave. That's how you get cancer, Joe. Can you hear me now? All right, all right. Yep. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Saint Fourteen Project Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sentinel Dad, and with me, as always, is Doctor Goku, Hatchy Dave, and Average Joe. Welcome to the project, boys. What's going on today? How, how you guys been? Good, man. Too bad. Good. Uh, what, what you guys been playing? What you been playing, Dave? Uh, Destiny, man, Forsaken. It, it's it's really good. I don't know how much we want to talk about it today, but it's Forsaken. It's amazing. It's awesome. finally what I was promised in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. What, what about agree. you, Joe? What you been up to? I've been doing pretty much the same thing, just playing Forsaken, and uh, that's about it. Awesome. And Goku, 20 bucks says you have the same answer. Uh, I've been playing Forsaken, but I haven't been able to play a lot. I've been really busy gotcha. at work and planning a one-year-old's birthday. Well, you you need to tell Felix where your priorities really lie. <laughs> but I also did start trying the uh, new Spider-Man game, the the PS4. Oh, one. we have that on our gaming news notes, so I'll pick your brain about that later. Sure, haven't played awesome. much. I've played like an hour of it. So, oh, gotcha. Awesome. I do have to well, say, he had the most adorable picture of Felix for his oh, birthday. Oh, yeah, he's a cute kid. Yeah. <laughs> If I was a jerk, I'd ask him if he's sure he's yours, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, nice. Yeah, I have been um, I've been reading a lot. So I've been kind of like taking it easy on the gaming. Um, but I have I did get back into um, uh, Paladins, an Overwatch like shooter. And I've been really, really loving it. Enjoying it. There's a lot of lore in it, too, which I, uh, I really enjoy. Um. But we're not alone. We have our first returning guest, um, Mrs. Superhero Therapy, Dr. Scarlett. How are you doing? Hi, I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me back. Oh, it is a pleasure having you back. (laughs) I I think before we ended that episode uh, that you were on some months ago, we were like, yeah, she's going to come back. (laughs) She must. Well, thank Um, you. Thank you. I'm very, very excited and very honored to be back. Absolutely. Um, uh, for those that don't know you, um, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am a clinical psychologist. I'm also an author and a proud full-time geek. Um, I specialize in something called superhero therapy. So I incorporate uh, characters from traditional superheroes, um, as well as other fictional characters like Harry Potter and characters from Star Wars, Star Trek, etc., into evidence-based treatments to help people recover from depression, anxiety, and PTSD. It's so awesome. It's such a great... Um, so incredible. That is <laughs> awesome. Amazing. Thank you. Um, yes. Um, 
for those um, because I, we know you have a patient coming up because you're on uh, the other side of the country as most of us. Um, where where can people find out about superhero therapy? Uh, one of the best ways to find out about superhero therapy is through my website, superhero-therapy.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Shadow Quill, and I'm always happy to to chat or tweet with others. Awesome. Um, well, since we are on kind of borrowed time, let's um, move on ahead. Uh, Dave, what uh, mental health organization are we going to be talking about this week? Uh, this week, I wanted to do something a little different. Uh, I mean, it's still a mental health, health organization, but uh, I wanted to bring up uh, Brain and Behavior Research Foundation, and I wanted to do something a little bit more philanthropic. Uh, this is a organization that supports uh, mental health by uh, awarding grants and making research for like uh, new medicine and stuff like that for uh, mental health. So I wanted to bring him up and uh, bring up their uh, uh, donation website for anybody that wants to, like, uh, you know, these are the guys that are helping uh, everybody else do the research to bring the education that we need for uh, for mental health. So if anybody wanted to donate, I wanted to bring him up. Uh, their website is at donate.bbrfoundation.org. And you can find him on Twitter at BBR Foundation uh, on Twitter. And I uh, just wanted to give him a shout out and uh, see if anybody wants to uh, go and throw in a little bit of uh, cash. That's awesome. That's a, that's a uh, definitely more unique organization than we normally pick. What a wonderful um, cause. Definitely. It's awesome. Um, yeah, we. I mean, I was just thinking we never, like, really, um, like, there's a lot of other stuff behind uh, what we talk about, you know, and bringing uh, awareness to everybody. But there's a lot of, like, actual science and stuff like that that goes on behind it. You know, we have two doctors with us. They know that uh, that's necessary for to actually be able to, like, complete the whole cycle of uh, mental health. So just wanted to bring that up. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. Um, yes. Um, strolling right along to a mental health topic, uh, Dr. Goku and uh, Dr. Scarlet, of course, as well. W w what are we going to be talking about this week, Goku? Well, this week we were going to talk about uh, self-harm. So we had a previous episode a couple weeks ago discussing uh, borderline personality disorders. We also discussed suicide, and we talked about self-harming. And uh, we decided that self-harming is something that we would discuss uh, in a separate episode because it's something that affects a lot of people. So non-suicidal self-injury, often uh, simply called self-injury, is the act of deliberately harming the surface of your own body, such as cutting, burning yourself. It's typically not meant as a suicide attempt. Rather, this type of self-injury is an unhealthy way to cope with emotional pain, intense anger, or frustration. So while they can't outwardly express that emotional pain, they're going to use these type of behaviors to help deal and cope with these behaviors. So I know, Dr. Sarlett, you, you're probably more of an expert on this subject than I am. So could you talk a little bit about uh, self-harm? 
Sure. Um, well, as you've mentioned, self-harm is something that people do deliberately, and there might be different um, different uh, reasons for for this kind of action. Some people engage in this action as a way of alleviating pain, whereas others engage in this action as a way of self-punishment. Um, so, for example, for some individuals who feel guilty or ashamed of a particular experience that they've had or a particular emotion or action that they're going through might engage in self-harm as a way to punish themselves, whereas other individuals might engage in self-harming behavior as a way of uh, better coping with their emotional pain. Physical pain for many people is easier to deal with and understand than emotional pain because there is something we can do about it. If, for example, someone cuts um, a, a wound or creates a cut on their body, we, we have a protocol for that. We know what to do. We uh, wash off the blood. We apply a Band-Aid, right? So there's almost like a degree of self-care that's involved in this process, Whereas emotional wounds are a lot harder to care for, for people who might not know therapy skills, such as the kind of skills that we might be teaching our patients. So uh, prior to people learning self-soothing and um, self-compassion skills that they might learn in therapy, um, some people do engage in self-harm um, as a way of trying to manage the overwhelming and excruciating emotional pain. So forms of self-injury. Uh, so self-injury... Uh, usually occurs in a private setting. Uh, it's done in a controlled and or often ritualistic manner that can leave marks or patterns on the skin. On the skin, so it can be cutting, scratching, burning, uh, carving words or symbols, hitting or punching, piercing the skin, pulling out hair. Um, and uh, persistently picking at or interfering with a wound that is healing. And it's more, more frequently on the arms, legs, and front of the torso. Right. And um, in fact, we're seeing people engage in this kind of, whether it's, uh, we call it skin picking or um, exoriation disorder, um, or pulling their hair out, which we call trichotillomania. Um, a lot of times, these particular forms of self-harm are um, a result of anxiety or severe distress, which um, can lead to people then either picking at their skin or pulling out their hair as a way of managing um, this anxiety, just kind of giving their hands something to do or something to work on. So in fact, a lot of people with anxiety might engage in these um, behaviors, but might not necessarily view them as self-harm. Uh, I've had some clients that do suffer from trichotillomania. Uh, I know the word more in French. I'm sorry, um, or uh, the skin picking, or they they really focus on they don't are they're not really aware of when they're doing it. Mm -hmm. They're doing the behavior as a way to cope, and often I had a, a client that was picking her skin so, so bad within a session. That she drew blood just because mm -hmm. she was anxious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and some yes. clients with trichotillomania can actually create bald spots on their head. Mm -hmm. And so it's true that a lot of individuals might not even realize that they're engaging in this behavior. Um, they might engage in this behavior when they're especially distressed. A lot of times it's high anxiety, panic. 
um, or um, some kind of other overwhelming emotion, such There's, as anger. That's a much larger list of uh, things you know that people do that I, I even knew. But uh, I was gonna say I've seen uh, uh, there's a TV show called uh, My My Strange Addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where they they do cover the hair pulling and uh, skin picking and all mm-hmm. that stuff, and mm-hmm. they never mention it as a uh, self harming. They they just saw it as a, I guess the way they portrayed it, it was more of a, an addiction more than a. Oh yeah. Now that you guys are talking about it, I can see how that could be like self-harming also. Um, and uh, Dr. Scarlett and Dr. Goku, how typically how what age? I mean, for the few statistics and figures that we have available to us, typically what age does self-harming um, start occurring? You know, it's really hard to tell because a lot of it is unfortunately underreported. Um, I find that a lot of people might not disclose their self-harm until they're in their adult years. Um, so it's really hard to tell. I've seen clients as young as 11 or 12 that are engaging in self-harm. Um, I imagine there are probably some people who are even younger than that that might engage in certain self-harm behaviors. And we know that, for example, children with autism might engage in um, hitting their head against the table or against the wall um, as a way of self-harm or, or as a way of reducing their distress. And that could be done in a really young age, such as five or six, for example. So it's it's really hard to tell sometimes because not all of it is reported. Mm-hmm. And it's important for people to be aware uh, of the signs and the symptoms because a lot of people that will uh either cut or self-harm will have other symptoms uh so there's the outward appearance of scars uh seeing fresh cuts scratches or bruises or other wounds uh excessive rubbing of an area to create a burn uh keeping sharp objects at hand uh often they're they're going to be wearing uh long sleeves or long pants <clears throat> even in hot weather to hide the the cuts uh, difficult interpersonal relationships, uh, the persistent questions about personal identity, such as who am I, what am I doing here, uh, behavioral and emotional instability, uh, impulsivity, unpredictability, unpredictability, statements of helplessness, hopelessness, and worthlessness. Hmm. What um? What's if you were to name it down to one or a few? What are the most common misconceptions about self-harming? Misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that most people assume that if people are self-harming, that they're attempting to die by suicide. And um, I think that's probably the most common misconception that people assume that if someone is cutting, for instance, that they're planning to take their own life. Um, and that may or may not be the case. Um, so I think that it's really important to explore what the person is trying to do and also what is the function of this behavior? Um, I find that unfortunately many parents, teachers, and sometimes even therapists um, 
simply tell the person to stop engaging in the behavior or tell them that the behavior is bad or wrong or, or even chastise or punish um, an individual for engaging in that behavior mm. when what we need to be doing is the complete opposite. We need to be helping the person to feel supported and to find other skills. Um, as far as I'm concerned, if somebody is engaging in cutting, for example, as a way of managing their emotions because they're so overwhelmed, and if their choices are between cutting and suicide, I would rather them cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would also, as a therapist, want to teach my client other skills to manage their painful emotions so that they don't have to revert to cutting when they're overwhelmed and, and when they're struggling. So the mm-hmm. person, often they have a hard time understanding their own emotions or expressing those own emotions and it's a lot easier to understand and process physical pain compared to emotional pain right so they're going to cut as a way to feel something that is a lot uh, easier to understand digest and uh, that is different from them feeling worthless or lonely uh, feeling in a panic uh, dealing with rejection Mm mm-hmm Occasionally, when we are experiencing physical pain, our body also releases oxytocin and endorphins as a way of like self-soothing um, or, you know, or, or particular um, uh, like pain relieving chemicals. Um, and so I think that for some people, it can feel like a relief or a release. Uh, to engage in this behavior. And then I find that for other people, it's almost like a permission to take care of oneself because if we can heal the wound, it's almost like a way that we're taking care of ourselves. And I think a lot of people don't know any other ways to self-soothe. So this is where I teach my patients to wrap a blanket around themselves or to hug a pillow, for example, to place their hands on their heart and take a few breaths to allow their body to engage in that similar kind of self-soothing as their body engages in when we're caring for a physical wound. I've had clients in the past uh, that had mentioned that the only way people would really hear them or understand that they were suffering was to show the physical ailments of their suffering. Because if they're suffering from anxiety or depression, people don't understand. And isn't that devastating, right? It breaks my heart to hear that, that people have to shout or, or, or place scars on their body in order to help so, to have somebody understand how much they're hurting. Because I think sometimes for people who don't experience anxiety or depression or, or, other, um, or other symptoms that we're treating patients for might have a really poor understanding of how much people are really suffering. So if we can create more understanding, and that's what I'm hoping this episode will do, is create more understanding about how much people with mental illness are really suffering, we can create a culture of compassion and understanding so that we can rally around people who are going through a hard time to give them other ways to find support as well. And for people that are listening that may be self-harming, that may... um so I have a hard time dealing with their emotions. Don't feel bad about seeking help or asking for help. And While they may feel that people don't understand, there are people that are going to be there to listen to them. You know, I, I find that um, a lot of times there's a lot of shame of even disclosing 
that people have self-harmed. Um, the truth is I have. I used to cut when I was a teenager, and it was the only way that I knew how to manage my pain. My family didn't know how to manage mental health. We came from a country that didn't accept mental health. And it was the only way that I knew how to take care of my own emotions. Um, I'm extremely grateful now for learning mental health skills and going into this profession where now I can not only help myself, but also help many other people who are going through these issues. And if anyone out there is listening, if you ever think that there's no one out there that understands, please know that many people do and therapists can understand better than you think. Mm -hmm. I know here in the United States, it probably vary by um, state and even areas of, of states. Um, but if, if you know, we do have teen listeners, if you're a teen and you're dealing with um, self-harm and you speak to like a school official, is that something that they're mandated to report to your, your parents? Yeah, you know, it, it depends on the particular state. Um, so and it really depends on the intent so in some places, if it's um, self-harm without the intent to take someone's life, then the teen might be um, recommended therapy. But I think in a lot of cases, their parents would be informed. And um, in a lot of places, their um, teens are able to seek mental health treatment at their school. So um, if you're, again, if you're, if you're a young person, if you're underage, know that you also can find therapy, even, and if it doesn't feel safe to let your parents know what you're going through, there are a lot of therapists that would still be able to see you even without your parents knowing. It's also depending on probably state to state, but the uh, confidentiality mm -hmm limits yes. that the therapist will set. I know for here in Canada, it's pretty much standard across the board, but I'm only going to report if I feel you're at a risk of hurting or killing yourself. Yes. And same thing in California. Um, and if parents bring in their underage children to see me, that is the first thing that we talk about. I spend 10 minutes with the family, letting them know that the only thing I'm going to disclose to the parents is if the child is in immediate danger, so if they're planning to take their own life or someone else's, um, and also just kind of the child's overall progress and diagnosis, but I will not that let them know about anything else, um, including any content that's disclosed to me, and that does include self-harm without the intention of suicide. Um, Dr. Scarlett, last time you were on, we had, um, it was right after some prominent um uh, known figures had committed suicide and, and we we had postulated to you you know you, what you would do to combat mental health and suicide in this country and you and one of the first things you said was education um from adolescence up well from from young childhood up but um as with regards to self-harming do you feel that as little as mental health is talked about, especially in, uh, you know, primary education at a young age, do you feel that self-harming is often that um, topic under that umbrella that gets ignored more often than most? Absolutely. I think it's one of those topics that I think parents, teachers, and 
counselors are afraid to talk to people about. I mean, I'm stereotyping, of course, but I think there are a number of um, of adults that have a hard time talking to children about it um, and explaining what it means and what happens. Um, and I also think that this is where a mental health education from first grade on or from kindergarten on can have a huge effect on um, helping people to better understand and manage their mental health. I think that mental health should be a required subject, just like English or math. And um, and in in these kind of classes, we can learn about emotion management. We can learn how to self-soothe and practice self-compassion and practice to sit with painful emotions or practice seeking help or practice communicating with others about what we're going through. So I think if these kind of mental health skills are taught from uh, from the very, very beginning, from first grade on, then we're likely to see a great reduction in self-harm behavior and I think an increase in other coping behaviors. I think one thing that a lot of people are skeptical or scared about, about talking about self-harm is if we openly talk about it, then kids will know what it is and mm. copycat or mimic the behavior, mm. which is not necessarily the case. No. And I find that just like with suicide, it's quite the opposite. The less we talk mm -hmm. about it, the more likely it is to happen and the more likely it is to happen in silence. Whereas I think if we talk about it, we can educate people on what to look out for and then also how to provide help for individuals that are going through it. So I'll give you an example. My 12-year-old niece um, called me a few months ago crying because she found out that her classmate was cutting. She didn't know what cutting was until that point. And she was really distraught because she didn't know how to help her friend. So we actually spent about an hour on the phone talking about what self-harm is and what might be going on and what are some of the ways that she can help her friend and who are some of the teachers and counselors that she might be able to talk to about this and some of the ways that she can support her friend as well. And I think that the more kids find out about um, not only self-harm, but also emotion regulation and emotion management, the more likely we are to see healthy and adaptive mental health behaviors. Mm. Um, for the... I know, we just had a question pop up, and I think it's a question that Dr. Scarlett might be very good at answering. Uh, so, I am a veteran, and I'm covered by VA healthcare. I talked to my psychologist and I ran out of meetings. The only mm. thing that they can do is prescribe medication. Mm. I'm scared to death of medication because my mother was addicted to prescription drugs mm. and she later committed suicide. Is this a reasonable fear? Oh gosh, That's, my heart just broke. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about your loss. Um, you know, I find that everyone copes with medication and with, um, with health, uh, differently. Um, I do think that, um, if you're looking to get additional, uh, therapy, uh, like psychological therapy, there might be other options. There might be a number of outside providers that are not in the VA, but maybe outside of the VA that might take, um, TRICARE insurance, for example, or might provide low cost treatment for veterans. I also think that community engagement, um, like engagement with organizations such as Wounded Warrior Project and other um, other organizations that support veterans are monumental 
in coping with different mental health disorders. And I think that sometimes we do need certain medications to function. Um, I, you know, I, I think that sometimes medications can be helpful and sometimes um, having other support groups can be helpful as well. So I don't think all medications lead somebody to be suicidal, but I do think building a sense of community is what tends to help a lot of people. So I'm hoping that you're able to do that. And on a lot of misconceptions for a lot of the medications that we typically see, so antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication, are not to be prescribed for a long term. Yes. Uh, we see them as a short-term um, bridge between therapy and helping the person reach therapy goals, just yes. giving them a boost to achieve those goals. Yes. Yes, precisely. Um, for the, you know, for the parents out there, um, what is, I mean, what is the um, outside of, you know, getting them to a mental health professional, getting your child a mental health professional? What is the go to uh, piece of advice in talking to your child about it like what what are the things you want to avoid saying and what are the things you want to make sure you instill in them and how you feel about it i am so glad you asked that thank you for asking that question of course the the number one don't is shaming your child so something that parents should never ever do is tell their their child that they're ashamed of them that they shouldn't be doing this, that they're weak or stupid for engaging in self-harm um, or, or, or any kind of guilt tripping or shaming. The best thing, the, the biggest dues that the parents should engage in is sitting down with their child, creating an open conversation and permission for the child to share what they're struggling with as well as to validate that these problems that the child is facing are serious and important. Um, something that I've seen parents go through, for example, I've seen a very concerned parent asking a child what made the child engage in self-cutting, and the child disclosed that she was feeling overwhelmed because she and her partner broke up and she got into a fight with another friend. And then the parent then proceeded to tell the child that her problems weren't serious enough. So I think that as a parent, it's important to remember that to the particular individual who's engaging in self-injury, whatever their problem, the problem that they're struggling with is serious and is important and is very, very painful. And that is what led to the self-injury behavior. If a parent can provide a supportive, compassionate environment, it will be easier for the child then to engage in open communication with the parent and, and ask for support in that way. Um, so really the best thing that parents can do is listen and validate and support. And it might seem like you're doing nothing, but that's everything. Providing that containment, that, that supportive space, that can be life-saving. Is it, um, would it be safe to say that, you know, for most, um, of children that are, um, engaging in self-harm when, when in, or if and when they do talk to their parents about it, if their parents haven't noticed or addressed it with them, would it be safe to say that they don't want the the parent there to fix them? They they want them to listen to them and be there for them? 
I think that's the case for everybody, not just children. I think that's the case for everyone. When we're struggling with a mental health problem, I think what most of us want is for someone to listen and maybe even to ask, how can I help instead of saying, this is what you should do. Um, so I think that's true for a lot of people. We don't want to be fixed. We want to be heard. We want to be understood, accepted. We want to be loved. Awesome. Um, did anyone else have any questions for, um, Goku or Dr. Scarlet on self-harm? No, just, um, not really. I think you guys touched on it, but uh, substance abuse is also can be also uh, self-harming on somebody as well, correct? You know, um, substance abuse is kind of its own category, but we can some people conceptualize it as self-harm. There are risky mm-hmm. behaviors that are kind of like self-harming behaviors, and that can include substance use or risky sexual behaviors or, um, you know, even eating unhealthily. So I think now we're kind of getting into more of a gray area that overlaps with a number of other categories as well. Mm. Um, and at times, these can be considered self-harm, especially when they're done as a way to escape pain or as a way to punish oneself. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking uh, yeah. down that road. Um, no, I don't, I don't have any more questions. That was my only wonder. Well, um, that was amazing. Thank you for talking. I know that I know that's not the most common mental health topic. And I know it's, you know, even if you don't know someone who's um, engaging in self-harm, it's it's a tough topic to talk about. Thank you. Um, I think you know, that, sorry. I'm sorry. I think that um, I think that it's a very important topic to cover because Absolutely. I think there are a lot of people that can probably relate to it. Oh, of course. Of course. I, I think that goes often undisclosed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I, I have people very, very dear and close to me that, that have done it and do do it. And, um, you know, this is something, uh, Goku and I have talked about doing, uh, for quite a long time for about four or five months. And, um, we definitely want to make sure we had the right person here to talk about it. <laughs> so yeah. we are so grateful that you came um, to hop on the show again with us, Dr. Scarlet. Thank you. Um, of course. Um, but I think we can move on to a character analysis. Which, um, so the most fun um, uh, polls are the I've, I've decided are the ones when Dr. Scarlet's on because it's all <laughs> different, eclectic. Um, uh, uh, it goes across so, fandoms. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> so this time um, we had um, Dean Winchester from Supernatural. Again, we had again we had Harry Potter. We had um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which um, and then we had Eleven from Stranger Things. And this is probably the closest one. Like they're all like. 26, 27, 29, like 23% or something like that. <laughs> Surprisingly, 11 from Stranger Things won. Um, but uh, Dr. Goku and uh, I'm pretty sure Dr. Scarlet will talk about it too. Tell us about 11 <laughs> Stranger Things. So uh, 11 is a very interesting character. And Stranger Things uh, just 
skyrocketed into one of my favorite shows uh, on Netflix or in general. So Eleven, born Jane Ives, and later uh, who that became Jane Hopper. I'll touch on that a little bit later. Uh, she's better known um, to the gang of friends as Elle. She's played by Millie Bobby Brown, and her character is a main protagonist in the hit Netflix series Stranger Things. So Elle has a very tragic upbringing. So she went through a lot of... Uh, Perpetual and constant physical, emotional, and psychological trauma at the hands of the Hawkins National National Laboratory, uh, but mainly from uh, Dr. Martin Brenner, who she calls Papa. So uh, she was taken uh, almost at birth from her mother, Terry Ives, who herself was a participant in a controversial government program known as MKUltra. Due to the nature of the experiments, which were psychedelic drugs and sensory deprivation, Jane was born with various psychokinetic abilities. So we later learned through the series that she has telekinesis, levitation, extrasensory perception, or ESP, remote viewing, telepathy, psychometry, technopathy, portal manipulation, dimensional travel, biokinesis, and possible teleportation. So that's quite a laundry list of abilities. So her entire childhood life was spent within the laboratory, where other kids were also test subjects. One of her closest friends there was named Eight, and they were allowed to play in a room called the Rainbow Room. Uh, The tests that were uh, done were trying to enhance her psychic abilities, And when she failed or refused to comply, she was severely punished, often dragged and locked into solitary confinement. A tipping point was when Dr. Brenner asked Eleven to manipulate a living creature, uh, where she was presented with a cat. So her refusal led to her being dragged by two guards, uh, and when in a fit of rage, she later killed one by snapping his neck and killed the other one, by throwing him into a wall. And this, in a bizarre way, pleased Dr. Brenner, where he learned that she's now biokinetic. So in a very twisted mind. So through the series, we see her go through the experiments. She's put into a sensory deprivation tank to try and spy on Russian agents, but she makes contact with a mysterious creature that we now know as the Demogorgon. So now this becomes the focus of the experiments, and when she makes contact again, she later opens up a crack between the dimensions, letting the Demogorgon enter our dimension. So this uh, ensued chaos, and she was able to escape the laboratory, and later she met up with Mike, Lucas, and Dustin, who were looking for their friend Will, who had disappeared when that crack opened. So due to her captivity, Eleven has very limited vocabulary and communication skills, Uh, but she was able to eventually be understood by Mike, and uh, he was able to teach her the concept of friendship. And this is a very central key pillar for Eleven, which she holds very, very dear. So her friends are everything for her. 
Um, she also de- demonstrates very powerful psychokinetic powers where she's still learning to master. And we also see that iconic scene where she launches a van into the air. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. And I'm actually <laughs> going to touch on that. I don't know if everyone knows what uh, Because Science is. It's the, a, you, the a YouTube, YouTube show with Kyle Hill, where he did a comparison with physics and everything between Eleven and a Jedi. <laughs> so his uh, math just made it that Eleven is as powerful or more powerful than any Jedi we've seen on screen. That's fantastic. According to physics. Right. Because physics. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yes, just but nerding out a little bit, <laughs> but nerding out a little more opposed to compared to a Jedi doing her using her powers has more physical strain on her body than yeah. a Jedi would. Yes. So, but she's still learning how to control over her of her powers. She's at that point around 11 or 12 years old. I'd so say about. End, yeah. So at the end of the first season, uh, she confronts the demigorgon, pushes that uh, the creature back into uh, the crack between dimensions, escapes the dimension, and uh, flees into the forest, where she was a month later found by Chief Hopper, where he brings her to her cabin to keep her safe. But in him trying to keep her safe, he again isolates and secludes her and having all these rules she becomes impatient and later uh, runs away trying to understand who she is and where she came from this is where she reunites with her mother uh, but her mother is in a state where she just stares blankly at a tv and repeats the same things over and over again so which is breathe sunflower rainbow three to the right four to the left, and 450. And this is kind of the story of Eleven's birth and her mother trying to find her again and what Dr. Brenner ultimately did to her. So Eleven left the residence and is trying to find her friend Eight, who is named Callie. So she journeys to Chicago, where she eventually finds Callie and helps her to better understand her powers, asking her to move a shipping container or uh, no, a railroad car. She was unsuccessful, but by channeling her rage, she's able to finally move it. Callie tried to make Elle kill one of the uh, the previous scientists, and she refused. When she refused, Callie tried to kill him, and she tore the gun away from Callie's hand. That's when the police arrived, and she escaped again. At this time, Eleven decided to head back to Hawkins, and when she arrives, she saves the group from a pack of demagogues. demodogs. She's re- reunited with her friends. They hatch a plan to exercise the Mind Flare from Will, where uh, Eleven goes back to the lab, channeling her rage and anger as taught by Callie. She's now strong enough to accomplish the task of closing the gate. A month following those events, Hopper officially adopts Eleven and names her Jane Hopper. And at a night out at the Snowball, 
her and Mike share a kiss and kind of cement the bond that they've created between each other. Aww. So, in a <laughs> nutshell, that's kind of who uh, who Eleven is, and there's all the uh, psychological factors, but I wanted to get uh, Dr. Scarlet's opinion on Elle, because I re- re-listened to your episode on Stranger Things, and you had mentioned that you have a special connection with Elle. I do have a special connection mm-hmm. with Elle. I have such an affinity for her. Um, you know, having experienced this severe radiation exposure that I did as a child I and severe nosebleeds that I did as a result of that radiation exposure, um, I, I felt really connected watching Elle on the screen. Now I'm still working on my ability to throw cars and buses, you know, overhead. Um, I'm sure that will that will probably happen any week now, you know, getting there. Um, you get there. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for believing in me. Um, but I, <laughs> uh, but I, I felt really connected to her in that regard, and also in terms of not speaking the same language. When I came to this country, I didn't, I didn't speak English. So um, the people that I was friendly with had to kind of pantomime with me, and I with them. So there were, um, you know, there was that language barrier that lasted several years, you know, until I became completely fluent. Um, I think in, in my opinion, as, as many traumatic experiences as she has gone through, she is the perfect depiction of post-traumatic growth to me. This is somebody that has been through a tremendous amount of trauma and has used it and has used her, her pain, her, her loss to, help other people to make sure that what she has been through will not happen to others. Um, she's displaying incredible amount of courage and loyalty to her friends. Um, this is something she hasn't had before. She hasn't really had a, a family, somebody that loves her and supports her and protects her. And she's found that in her new friends, especially in Mike and the amount of dedication that she has to protect her friends gives her a sense of purpose and I think that she is the most incredible character in the show, in my very biased opinion. And uh, I'm just <laughs> fascinated by her. Yeah, because uh, Elle have, has gone through elements of social isolation, seclusion, yep. and a lot of solitary confinement. Yes. Uh, and solitary confinement, we know, as a punishment, doesn't really work. It makes people worse. So having worked in a federal penitentiary, yeah. uh, I, I've seen inmates that have gone through uh, psychotic episodes due to being yeah. in solitary. I actually think, in in my opinion, I actually think that social isolation is cruel and unusual because I, I think that it is the worst, harshest punishment that we can put anyone through. And I think that it's the worst type of emotional torture. And I think it's, uh, I think it's as bad as extreme physical torture. Because on a fundamental level, humans are social animals. We're made yes. to be in groups. We're made to interact. And when we are isolated for whatever reason, we tend to get along with our thoughts, make up ideas. And we know how our minds can start to play tricks on us. Yes. And like you mentioned, Elle has gone through 
tremendous amount of trauma. Uh, there's a, a link uh, and relationship with her and uh, Dr. Brenner, like I said, who she calls Papa, and almost like a Stockholm Syndrome where he's the only father, a father figure she had while he's a very authoritarian parenting. She developed a very anxious and ambivalent attachment style towards him. Mm-hmm. So she's very uh, un- unsure of what's going to happen. And you can see the repercussions of this of when she meets Hopper. So Hopper has a very authoritative parenting style. And she will test the limits. Uh, and she will often um, not really trust what Hopper does. Saying, is he going to leave me? Is he going to hurt me? Almost self-sabotaging in a way. I think she's expecting that people will leave her. I think she anticipated that with Mike and when he proved that he won't, that's when her strong bond to him really, uh, really grew. She realized that there are people that will risk everything to protect her and won't leave her behind. And I think she didn't fully trust that Hopper would be able to do the same. But when she realized that he would be there for her, that's when she, um, that's, that's when her affection for him grew as well. And you see her go through that process through the second season with Hopper and with Mike. Because yes. we see her kind of seeing Mike with Max. Yes. And, and the, the, feeling jealous. Exactly. So her working through all of those emotions and cementing a, a bond with Mike that she right. can finally really trust him. Right. Right. Absolutely. So I don't know if I have, anyone has anything else to add with uh, Eleven or any questions. Amazing um, character. I do not. That was that was incredible, Joe. Do, do you have anything else? I'm trying to think off the top of my head after everything you guys covered. Uh, I personally really like the character. I think it at the end of each season, there's only been two and we have to wait until next year until the next one to see oh, where so all these characters that. develop to. Cause I want to see where these relationships go and how she reacts being pretty much put into the public now, you know, and given a life essentially and how that's going to react to her, you know, and how she's going to react to it in the same, um, no, I just love how at the end she just is like the most badass freaking character of all time. She just comes in like freaking Conan or something and just <laughs> takes care of business. I mean, it's awesome. Yep. Amazing. It was amazing. Oh. As, a, as an 80s kid, this is uh, the Goonies meet Firestarter. I don't know if you guys are familiar with those movies. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Firestarter, it's a Stephen King book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drew Barrymore. Yep. Drew Barrymore. Second They're actually doing awesome. a remake of it. Awesome, awesome. Oh, for real? Stay tuned. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, Dr. Scarlett, I know you, you got a um, you got a patient coming up, so we won't uh, hold you any longer as much as we want to. Um, but um, if people want to catch you, uh, where's the best best place to uh, get in touch with you? Thank you so much. Uh, the best place to find me is probably on Twitter. I'm at Shadow Quill on Twitter. I do have a professional Facebook page if you search for Dr. Janina Scarlett, and I'm on Instagram as Superhero Therapy. Awesome. And um, 
if you haven't checked out her page, uh, superhero, um, hyphen therapy.com. It's amazing. So much cool info on there. There's links to, uh, her podcast, some of the books she's helped write. Um, it's, uh, an amazing place. I urge everyone to go check it out if you haven't already. Uh, Dr. Dr. Scarlett, thank you so much for coming back. And we cannot wait till the, um, psychologist Thunderdome. <laughs> yes. I, yes. I, I, I'm just going to throw I put hands on Dr. Scarlett over uh, uh, Morales and Dr. B. I'm excited for this to happen. I can't wait. <laughs> Come at me, bro. We all know it. Well, thank you so much for having thank me. So really thank you. Thank you for coming on again. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Thank Have you so much. Bye bye. She's so cool. Coolest yes, guest ever. Mm-hmm. Um, ah, I love having her on. Awesome yep. people. Um, but let's uh, let's roll into uh, some gaming news. Um, so the Forsaken raid from Destiny Two, the new DLC, the raid went live, and uh, I, I I was worried Clan Redeem was not gonna uh, be the uh, raid first, uh, get the the first raid win, uh, which they did, and they broke they broke the record for the longest. It, this is the longest um, first the one. Was the longest before 18, that, right? Almost. I'm sorry. The yes, long was the, the longest. Yep. Yeah, and um, so it almost at 19 hours. So Clean Redeem did uh, beat it in 18 hours and 48 minutes, and they and came out of nowhere. Yeah, I know. And, and only only two teams beat it in the first 24 hours, which is that, so that old math class were two minutes off of the 24 hour. And yeah. there's a whole debate on Twitter about if the two minutes they sh- should still get the 24-hour emblem. No. <laughs> and I think uh, Dado would, would boom, say that as well. The that no. <laughs> no. Too bad. <laughs> uh, no, but that I, was. I haven't touched the radar. Are you guys raid ready? I also haven't even bought Forsaken yet. <laughs> I am not raid ready whatsoever. Not even a chance close. to play too much. So I'm about 501, I've, I've been straying away from most of the info. So what's the uh, minimum uh, light level you need for it? I would suggest 550, no less. I think well, you can't go in at 530. Say? You can go in at 530. the first encounter is like 530, and the last one's like 580. 580, yeah. And you're, the recommended oh, is so, 550. So y- you can start the raid at 530. 520 yeah, you can get in. hard. <laughs> so, but like, say you make it to the final stage. You're, you're not going to be 580. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, you're not. You're going to be maybe like 540 with the gear. Gotcha. So it, it's uh, it's hard. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Um, I'm it, at 527. I'm hoping to be in the raid next week. I'm going to grind pretty hard throughout the rest of this week and try and get in there next reset we'll see yeah i'm only at 507 i am at 321 <laughs> shut up it's more than that <laughs> it is 362 i believe <laughs> that's not bad because actually you just Running the campaign in Forsaken, you'll be over 400 pretty quick. And by the time you open the Dreaming City, you'll be pretty much at the threshold of 500. And then right. after that, it's just 
anything you see on the open world that says powerful gear, right, just yeah. go do it. And then you also get these things, uh, prime engrams that just yeah, drop I, from challenging. I, I saw a bunch of, uh, um, uh, our, our buddy Hidden's uh, Instagram videos. Um, <laughs> he's, he's like, oh, prime engram has dropped and then go down to like the netherworld where he couldn't get it. I was laughing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah, That's actually happened that, once. Uh, Clan Redeem or anyone wouldn't beat the the raid within the first twenty four hours. Well, it's you know that's that's a long ass time. I know if I told my wife like, "Hey, I'm gonna be doing this for nineteen hours," uh, she goes, "Okay, well, I'll be talking to a lawyer." <laughs> think about yeah, it. The data long, was up for long, like thirty six hours. That is a long time to be playing a video game. <laughs> nah, you gotta think. Train on somebody playing that long oh my god oh god you know <laughs> insane um and the, the but, world's first actually got a belt championship oh. belt oh yep. okay like, like in um, the w like, or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. but okay. that's not just to the people that beat this raid if any anyone that has gotten world's first on any of the previous raids also are getting a belt too Hasn't hasn't Clan Redeemed on every single one though? They've gotten three so yeah, far. Because uh, Gethalian and uh, Broman Get- had the King's Fall one. Yeah, they had King's Fall. I don't remember who had the previous ones before that, but then it's been redeemed for everything else since. Because yeah. there's um, seven raids in total. Uh, seven? No, eight. Eight raids in total. Gotcha. Um, but. I mean, I I watched the raids raid race from one o'clock until like almost two in the morning. You know, while I was gaming, I had it on one of the monitors, flipping between the two front runners. I mean, the great thing was I was so pulling for this dude. It it was just a random just group out of Australia made it through the vault first and where Dado's team got praised for using the scientific method and everything. These guys just found a quicker way through it. Like, I don't even know how they got through it, but this guy averages like the one of the, the mainstream around this team averaged like 30 some viewers, every stream. It went from like 35 viewers to almost 30 K viewers within wow. 45 minutes and he carried that those numbers pretty much until he he stopped which is awesome and they they literally fought the final boss from four o'clock at night until like two two o'clock in the morning just over and over and over and the sick thing was and it was happening to dado too they just weren't strong enough to do the dps they needed to do on the final boss but it was so cool that Bungie incorporated a few different aspects of the final uh, fight. At the end, you have to carry uh, – each teammate has to carry like a part of the heart or something like that that the queen sends you to get. Well, while you're in there running with it, your teammates are kind of like dropping off. But you can – if you look at the walls, and you can see it on Twitter, uh, the walls of uh, the background, it's actually two hands. And you're transported – inside the heart that your teammate is carrying. So you can kind of see your teammate holding onto the heart and you're inside the heart. 
looking from the inside out. It's pretty neat, but just the impact it also had on the raid completion on everybody else's game. I thought yeah, it was so cool. Cycle the Dreaming City for every three weeks, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, it's a three-week cycle, and it added a curse and a few, uh, a strike, a mission, some more hidden stuff. And uh, if you go to the Dreaming City, if you were there before and after, before it was all pristine and pretty and like out of Lord of the Rings, and now it's like getting a black tar on all the big buildings, and there's also like dust particles of like taken, like all over just around in the air it's so cool they did such a good job with this bravo bungie they, they really knocked forsaken out of the park yep of what i've been able to play it, it just feels like destiny's back and better than ever yep awesome. i'm digging the ran, random rolls and everything like that it's just so cool the bow is just like the i'm just oh, gonna the say bow is it. amazing it's, <laughs> it's so dude it's so satisfying I mean, and apparently there's a hidden mechanic within the bow that if you release it at a specific time, rather than holding it in and charging and then releasing, there's a sweet spot to release it that it'll, it'll increase the range, accuracy, and damage. Where's my tinfoil hat? <laughs> Someone in his drawers. Oh, you're on mute, Dave. That's how you get cancer, Joe. Can you oh, hear me now? All right, all right. Yep. Thank, thank you for talking me down. I was just saying that I was watching uh, somebody talking about that in that sweet spot you're talking about, mm -hmm. and I've, I've been practicing it. I can't get the the max CPS. Like, mm -hmm. I'll get it though. I love bows. Like, oh, that think, bow just feels phenomenal. I think that's why I, I love Horizon Zero Dawn so much, and now mm -hmm. we got it on Destiny, so it's it feels really good. Love yeah. it. I've barely taken it off since I got mine. Mm. Awesome. Um. Go, can you talked about it earlier? Um, you said you played a little bit of Spider Man yeah, on PS4. About an, an hour of it. Uh, but before you get going, so I <laughs> I know I shared it with you guys privately, but there was this little Twitter video of this guy. <laughs> he, says, he says, Oh, everybody talking about Spider Man on PS4. Oh, and then he goes, But look what I got. And he zooms into an Xbox One and he goes, You can't play nothing on this. Nothing. Yeah, nothing. I Why did that. I buy this? No, I'm not one to talk smack about the platforms or anything, but that crap was hilarious. Um, that was pretty funny. Now, the one I saw, the there was a guy poking it with a stick, like do something. <laughs> <laughs> Sony's really knocking it out of the part lately with their exclusives. I mean, they they kind of always have, um, but you know, there have of course as people. It being kind of that open world format, um, you know, people Parkinson's delved Spider-Man Two. People delved into it, and you know there are you know some buggy parts of it. You know, people did complain about some of the graphic stuff. Like I think there was one where this guy like basically went out on the ocean and went up to some sailboat, and yeah. it yeah, I I I it literally the graphics in Minecraft looked better. Um, <laughs> but how often are you going to get close to people on a ship in the ocean as Spider-Man? Yeah, but I, I think at the same time, it's the principle of the thing that some people were upset about. Um, but why don't you give us your uh, impression from, uh, you know, just playing a little bit of it? Well, I'm still getting used to the controls. 
but the swinging mechanics on it, they just nailed it. So the best yeah. swinging mechanics were uh, Spider-Man 2 back on the PS2. Uh, <laughs> and they just took those and kind of really ran with it. And it just is fluid and dynamic. And I'm still getting used to the combo system. So it, it's, uh, it harkens to uh, Arkham. So Batman Arkham that took their mechanics uh-huh. from the old Spider-Man games. But the combo system is really in-depth and I haven't really unlocked anything for it yet. But I can see myself really delving into kind of figuring out the, the best combos and special moves to do. So there's like uh there's like uh skill trees for Spider-Man yeah. and his Oh, that's skill cool. Skill trees okay. and different gadgets and stuff that you can use. And now, different can you suits that give you different Iron abilities. Man suit? I was just going to ask that. The Iron Spider, yeah. You can unlock the Iron Spider suit. That's I think cool. there's 24 or 28 unlockable suits. Take that, Batman. You and your four in the Batcave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, suck it, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes through kind of the whole comic book history of, of Spider-Man. Well, at least it didn't Wait, incorporate the, the swinging like it did in Lego Spider-Man. Oh that was God. terrible. It was like, it was um, is it, is it really, um, gratifying? Like just like swinging through these super tall buildings in the, Oh, it's this- amazing. You could, you could spend hours just zipping around New York. Just, just like exploring it. Yeah. And awesome. it's a very open world game. There's so many side quests and side missions to do. And so it's, it's, it's a GTA with Spider-Man. Now, what is this thing I keep seeing all over, like, Twitter and everything, where Spider-Man goes, like, flying out of his apartment window, but it's, like, all pixelated and his head's missing or he's in his underwear, and then he just goes out the window and he's just spinning nonstop while he's swinging? It's What what the heck was that all about? Yeah, I, I think someone just had a bug. And uh, yeah installed in, improperly or something. So, uh, so, I've played that scene. It's pretty much the opening scene and I had no problem with it. Gotcha. Um, cool. Well, it'll be good to see um, how you feel about it. Yeah. You know, after you play it some more, um, yeah, I'm on the fence about picking it up or not, but um, let's move on. So, um, Call of Duty Black Ops 4 did their beta for Blackout, which is their Battle Royale version. Um, I saw a few videos online about it, and it looked yeah. really good. I, um, nice. I'll tell you, I played it. I played it. I got a code from uh, my man Casper. That's his name, my man Casper. I oh. should say <laughs> I got a free code from my man, my man Casper. Um, <laughs> awesome dude, a guy I met. Um, Playing uh, Battlefield Four, actually, um, but uh, who plays with our friends now? Goku. Okay, <laughs> um, but he he gave me a code. Our, our buddy Raging Cajun. Um, you know, I played it. Um, the gunplay was good. Um, it was, was very good. You know, for what it was, but it's. I don't know if it was just the map or the way things were oriented. It was like way too similar to um h1z1 the the battle royale mode that that 
um, me and Dave played from time to time. Um, it felt like a it felt like a reskin. Like the, the hmm. weapons were definitely a lot better. Uh, the graphics were you know better, but it more felt polished version. like it it felt the same way that. Um, like watching the videos from you know when Call of Duty World War Two came out, it like it didn't look that impressive for what it was for Black Ops Four. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they do end up doing an open beta for it. Um, so maybe they take some feedback from this closed beta on it. Um, but you know, I mean, that, that was just. My opinion, you know, it was it was it was definitely a lot smoother than H one, but um, you know, for me, it just it wasn't that big of a of a step in between a free game and a sixty dollar a sixty US dollar game. Um, I think for me, I would have liked to see it a little bit more polished if I'm going to spend that 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 kind of money. If that makes um, sense. I'm interested. I'm probably going to pick it up and try it out. Because some it, of the big seems... battlefielders are actually praising that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's being they well are, received yeah. on the streaming it community. Is. So. Yeah. Um, but did anyone else have any other uh, gaming news? Anything else they wanted to bring up? There was a quick article I read earlier this week, or late last week, over the weekend, I can't remember when. Uh, the new uh, companies working with both uh, the new Xbox and PlayStation 5 consoles. And they were talking about, uh, in the article, the direction that these consoles are going, where the future consoles, the next generation, are going to be primarily cloud-based. So mm-hmm. they're going to have a primarily cloud-based storage system. And it's not just going to be the PlayStation 5 or the next Xbox, whatever they're going to call it. Uh, it's going to be both of them. So I think that's really interesting. Hmm. I can forward you guys the uh, article so you guys can check it out. It's just oh, for a, sure. That'd the, be great. The, it's a third party company and they just uh, just did a real quick blast on, you know, what they're doing and where the, the direction of the next generation consoles are going. So stores like GameStop and this and that and brick and mortars are going to be a thing of the past here soon. I mean, they're going to be just think geek shops eventually, and everything's going to be cloud-based. You won't have to worry about deleting a game off your console to make room for another one because everything will be – you better have good internet. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I worry about that I mean, because, you know, how many people, you know, do we game with that don't live in the most populated areas where, you know, the, the people that can't get uh, cable-based internet? I, I just got it. <laughs> I know. You live in New York. I live in upstate New York. I mean, my closest neighbor is a a cow field. I mean, <laughs> I'm up I, there. I I worry about the same thing. It's like, uh, you know, I hope they take an account that these these new consoles need to be able to function with uh maybe not minimal, but but like low um, connection. You know what I mean? And be able yeah. to play the game online from a cloud from a cloud service and also link you up with your with your friends you know and it's a lot of it's a lot of ups and downs and well something but, just yeah. came out with uh, PS now so the Sony's streaming service for games 
And apparently they're adding the download option for the streaming service. So you can uh, download the game directly to your console and mm. play it like PlayStation Plus. Gotcha. I, I might actually sign up for it now because, you know, I, I've tried it when it was, uh, I think, seven days for free or something like that. Yeah, it's and what, like it 15 was, bucks a month? Yeah, I think it started at seven ninety nine. I don't know if it went up. But, uh, you know, you start playing the game, everything looks great, and all of a sudden your internet dips down because your kid connected to their iPad or something, and all of a sudden everything blurs out or starts glitching. So that's why I didn't continue with the service. But if you can download them, it'll be cool to like play some of the mall games. Gotcha. Um, anybody else for any gaming news? Uh, no, not really. Not, okay. not that I can really say. Cool. Um, Joe, what, what do we got going on in the community? Tell you the truth, not a whole lot of anything because everybody is just so engrossed in playing video games right now. It's weird. Yeah, We're it's, coming up on Broketober. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> noticed. Broketober. <laughs> He's right, though. I mean, so many games come out this time of year. Assassin's I mean, but Creed, Red I, Dead. Cod, Battlefield Five, Spider Man just came out. Forsaken. Hey, you either spend all your money on video games in September, or you're saving for video games in December. So, yeah, uh, we got uh, Red Dead Two coming out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Um. Well, did anyone have anything else before I move on to the content creator of the week? Nah, who is it this week? Uh, we're just going to go to our buddy. Um, you, uh, people are going to be able to meet him at our next um, at our next uh, mental health awareness and charity event on November third for Checkpoint. But uh, it's a buddy of mine who I've actually who's actually local to me. He he, he lives kind of near me in the Atlanta area. He goes by uh, Doctor Crazy. He's uh, he um, stream. He's a variety streamer on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash the Dr. Crazy. Uh, crazy is spelled with a K. Um, he's a variety streamer. He does uh, Fortnite. He's known to play Sea of Thieves. He's a big uh, uh, a Destiny guy. He's been to every every Guardian Con. Um, he is a super cool guy. He, he has a passion for mental health as well. Uh, he is just uh, – he's a very dear friend. And uh, he's also in the uh, Twitch Atlanta group. Um, mm. that I'm a part of, and and he he kind of organizes the events for those outside of the uh, metropolitan area. Um, super cool guy. He uh, like he does Fortnite, Halo Reach, Rocket League. Um, he does some single player stuff too, like uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, uh, Lord of the Rings, and stuff like that. Um, uh, but he's got a great little community. He's got a great Discord. Um, go check him out. Twitch.tv slash the doctor crazy with a K. And it's the same handle on Twitter as well. Uh, very awesome dude. Heart of gold. Um, but yeah, check him out. He, he does some great streams. And, um, very cool guy in the community. Awesome. Uh, um, but that kind of, um, wraps us up. Um, Dr. Scarlet did have to leave early, um, consequence of her living on the West Coast. Most of us are on the East Coast. Um, mm-hmm. But everyone, you can follow her on Twitter. It's just at Shadow Quill. Or um, you can just go to her website, uh, superhero-therapy.com. 
Um, Thank you all for joining the project this week. You can reach us on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, uh, Facebook, just at Saint14Project. Um, if you want to send us an email, if you want to get involved in the project, or you have questions, um, you can reach us at Saint14Project at gmail.com. We have a Discord that's uh, pinned on our Twitter and also on our fancy website. Saint14project.com, which has all sorts of um, self-help links on there. There are articles. There are links to different mental health organizations, links to our links to this podcast, links to um, our Discord, and all that. And our Discord is a very uh, positive, calm, good place to be with great people. On lots of different mental health resources on there, and just just great people on there um, more importantly as well as mental health professionals in case you are in crisis and just need someone to talk to um, you can listen to us on iTunes or Podbean or anywhere that you can uh, listen to podcasts um, uh, Joe we recently our first partnership who did we get partnered with uh, Humble Bundle actually we uh, partner with them. A lot of people in the community actually uh, are partnered with them, and uh, we actually just got into a partnership with them about two weeks ago. And we have a link uh, pinned on our Discord that uh, we'll soon be making it over to the website and mm-hmm. onto the Twitter and everything. And it's just a, a great place to uh, just uh, pick up games and you know help us out. Uh, we do get a portion. If you do use our code, uh, we do get a portion, but that portion, uh, goes directly to, uh, a mental health organization. And for this month, it's actually any, uh, donations, any proceeds generated from, uh, Humble Bundle actually goes to takethis.org. So, you know, awesome. we, nice. we, we don't do this. Everything comes, you know, out of our pocket. We do it because we love to do it. We don't do it for money. Everything that we generate and come in goes right back out to help mental, uh, mental health and organizations and everything like that. So, you know, I think that's real nice to keep that going, especially with our partnership and everything. So you help us, but you also get something out of it. You get some cool games for good prices and you also help out mental health. Very awesome. Um, that's exciting. Um, but as we close up, uh, Dr. Goku, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me on Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, uh, on our Discord, all at SSJ5Goku28. And um, my character analysis with the graphics by uh, Haji Dave are going to be posted on the Save 14 Project website uh, very soon. I think we have yes. four ready to go to be posted dude i'm so excited for those to get posted yeah and i'm going to be working on the the path i have a couple ones in the works of kind of reviewing some of the notes making them all all pretty to to be posted on on the website awesome uh dave where where can people find your bedroom dj antics Uh, you can find me as hatchy dave on twitter playstation network and uh friendster I kind of gave up on my MySpace, so. <laughs> Couldn't get all the glitter that I needed. Awesome. Guess the and, thing about glitter, don't you? You just really love it. I do. <laughs> and uh, 
Joe, speaking of cows, where can people find you on Only Farmers? You can find me in <laughs> upstate New York, but you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. You can also get a hold of me on our Discord and pretty much anywhere. Very awesome. Um, and you can uh, find me just about everywhere, just Sentinel Dad. On Twitter, though, there is an extra D on the end. Uh, Twitch, Instagram, all those fancy places, just at Sentinel Dad. Um, thank you all for joining the project this week, and we will see you next time. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Have a good time.